Wilson, like a cork in the ocean over his head. Marking contest over the top, Subic's great grab. Across the ground, bam, in comes Donny Wurzlow. Inside 50, McGovern, McGovern, what a play. Sheik needs to be in perfect years. The Eagle has landed for the Premiers in 2018. G'day everyone, welcome to the West Coast Eagles Big Footy Podcast for another week. I'm your host, Honey Badger 35 Coming up on this week's episode, we'll recap the heartbreaking one-point loss to Collingwood. We'll talk waffle, dissect the major injury news of the week, and then preview our chance to get back on the winner's list as the Eagles take on Melbourne in round 18. Joining us to do so, please welcome Miguel Sanchez. How are you? Yeah, I'm uh, not nearly as good as I was this time last week. Yeah, big difference. Um, yeah, last week, we were sort of uh, shoe-ins for back-to-back, and this week it's um, it's basically season over. But, uh, yeah, apart from that, going well. Yeah, it's funny that, you know, you're on top of the pile one week and the next everybody needs to be retired or traded or taken out the back and shot. But we'll get into that in due course. First of all, though, I would also like to introduce Keys back on the show this week. How are you? Yeah, yeah, pretty good. Yeah, week's a long time in footy. It, uh, hopefully it, uh, you look over the course of the season and we're still not that bad of shape. So we'll see how we go for the rest of the year. Absolutely. And look, yeah, the, the, a couple of big stories dominating the Eagles headlines this week, but none more so than the match on Friday night. So we might as well get stuck straight into that one. West Coast Eagles 12-5-77, defeated by Collingwood 11-12-78. Uh, a brutal one point loss at the hands of the Pies in the grand final rematch. Look, the Eagles had a really good opportunity uh, coming in. You know, they were able to take control of second spot on the ladder and really get a stranglehold on a top two spot. They failed to do so. They really failed to capitalise on an early lead as well. Collingwood chipped things away uh, throughout the third quarter and then blew us off the park in the fourth quarter. And, uh, yeah, Miguel, look, it was a really disappointing outcome, obviously, uh, and there's been a couple of major storylines, major issues to come out of it on the injury front, which we will look at a little later. But from where you were sitting, what went wrong on the day? Yeah, um, was looking pretty good for three quarters. Even uh, third quarter, we sort of, I think we lost a bit of, of momentum, but we still managed to to increase our lead. And then, yeah, just the, the fourth quarter was one of those quarters that we have had from time to time over the past few years where just uh, we cannot get our hands on the ball, uh, nothing goes right. Um, Collingwood, I don't know whether they went up a gear, but certainly their, their pressure seemed to go up. Um, and we just couldn't match it. Ball basically lived in their forward line. It was 20 inside 50s to five, I think. Um, and our guys, the, the defense was under pressure. They panicked a lot. There seemed to be a lot, a lot of just sort of hacked kicks out to the waiting Collingwood defenders who'd moved up to just outside 50. And yeah, the, the play was for that last quarter was basically all down the, uh, the railway end of the ground, which made it difficult for me to see down the other end. Um, but yeah, it was uh, yeah, just nothing went right. I'd, I'd like to know what the contested possession numbers for that quarter were. We lost them by, I think it was 32 overall. And I had a look. I even put the bloody replay on this afternoon. I swore that I wouldn't watch the replay of that game. Um, but I put it on to see if they put up the contested possession numbers at three-quarter time because it felt like 
you know, we just we couldn't win the ball. We we couldn't get sort of any sort of chain of possession going, and yeah, just nothing went right. Um, I think the loss of Cripps hurt a lot because um, he's that sort of link up between the defence and the or the midfield and the forward line, um, and we sort of lost a lot of his run. Uh, but yeah, I suppose the just the the problem really began in the midfield. We weren't winning that contested ball, and we sort of we weren't really taking uh, a huge amount of advantage out of Nat Nui and Hickey's winning the hitouts over Grundy. But yeah, the the defence sort of held up the best it could, and then just collapsed under weight of Collingwood's forward entries. But yeah, disappointing game. Um, we were talking just before we started recording about. You know, it's probably asking a little bit much to expect us to go 5-0 against Collingwood, who are a very good side. And, you know, we're now 4-1 in the last 12 months, and the one loss is by a point. So, you know, we should be reasonably satisfied, but it's just the manner of the loss to have really held Collingwood at bay for three quarters and controlled the game and then to, you know, turn in a quarter like that and uh, lose the game on the back of one really, really poor quarter is, is pretty deflating. And, you know, when... A win could have really set up our season and um, almost locked in a, a top two berth. And you know, now we're basically not going to be able to make a mistake for the next six weeks, which is going to be increasingly difficult with the uh, the uh, growing injury list that we've got. But yeah, I suppose we'll get to that later. Yeah, we sure will. And look, a couple of a couple of key points in there, I suppose that I'll uh, sort of speak to, and then keys I'll throw to you. But look, can I first just say I've been probably one of the more positive people on the Eagles board this week. There's been a few. You know, justified meltdowns. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was a very disappointing game. But Miguel, like you touched on, look, we've played Collingwood five times now in the last year and four and one with the one being a single point loss. It doesn't necessarily make it feel better. It doesn't make it sting less. But I think you've got to take a pretty practical, realistic approach to it. I think there were some silver linings to all of this game and, and to the way it happened, but also some major red flags, uh, which we will continue to look at now as we move forward. So things like that three quarters of football and then the fade out, it's something we've talked about multiple times this year. Uh, Hawthorne, we talked about it. I know Adelaide game, we talked about it. It's been a, a staple of the Eagles throughout 2019, unfortunately. So, Keys, firstly, what went wrong in the game? And then secondly, I mean, these, these three-quarter efforts or half efforts where we have one quarter that is just a massive fade out and lets the opposition right into the game, it's clearly a real problem at the moment. So what is your suggestion or what do you think the steps can be taken to try and resolve or mitigate that? Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to know exactly why. I mean, I think the Adelaide, and the, Adelaide one was the second or third quarter. Second, yeah. Second, Hawthorne one was the third quarter. Yep. I think probably this one, out of the ones we've had this year, I think the, the fade out in the fourth quarter was is probably the easiest one to pinpoint. And I think that's... I think we we literally just ran out of legs. I think losing Cripps, as Miguel said, losing Cripps um, in that first quarter, you know, robbed us of a of a running player, and and, and arguably with um, Nat Nui Hickey and and Oscar Allen playing as a third tour, we were arguably a little bit light on for run as it was. So losing our set our first or second best running player in Cripps was a was a bit of a blow, and I think our yeah, six day break, back to back six day breaks from Hawthorne to Fremantle to this game, um, both in pretty heavy conditions. I think that just that wore that wore us down. And I think, you know, probably watching a game, you know, you look at probably halfway through the third quarter, you look, we had the game in hand. I think, you know, it wasn't completely on our terms, and there was, 
you know some things that weren't working as well as you'd, you'd hoped. But we had a you know we had a three goal lead. We looked a better side, but then probably from about halfway through that third quarter, I do think Collingwood probably ramped up their pressure. They denied us a bit of space. We weren't able to get that linking up run that we were early in the game, and in the finish just wore us down. And I think our guys that last quarter, I think there was a lot of tight kicks around corners and 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 kicks in hope. So, like I said, probably of our fade-outs in a quarter, that was probably the one that's that's easiest to explain. doesn't make it any less problematic or anything like that. But, yeah, it was just a, a real, you know, just, just a fade-out, I suppose. The other thing is I, I listened to the post-game on ABC Radio after, and I spoke to Scott Pendlebury in the change rooms, and there's a couple of things he said that, that stuck with me, and that was... Uh, if you if you think back to the game in round three when when we beat Collingwood, Bucks was Buckley was sort of quite down about the fact that you know the games we beat them in they we basically got over the top of them in the last quarter and just outgrunted them in the last quarter, and that was something he was disappointed with his boys, in particular the fact that all games sort of went the same way. Pendlebury said that was raised at three quarter time, and I think that was a real focus of theirs. That uh, you know they weren't they were determined not to get outworked again, so I think they really did lift their intensity, uh, and probably buoyed by the fact that I think in that latter half of the third quarter we were probably starting to show the signs that we were tiring. So you know Collingwood, even though they had a few players out, they're, they're still a good side. I mean they were. I mean Simpson was at pains to point out during the week they were third on the ladder going into the round. So. To go down to them, you know, they had, they probably had more to lose than we did, to be honest, because had we won that game, we would have, you know, we'd be two games clear of them. You know, that probably doesn't rule them out of getting to second, but it would have made it really, really hard. Whereas at least, you know, we, I mean, we've stopped the fourth, but it's only on percentage. I mean, we've still got the ability now to, to still find our way to get to second spot. We're not out of it. Whereas Collingwood probably would have been out of it had, um, had they gone down to us. So, Disappointing, but you can sort of see the reasoning, you know, the reasoning behind it, and you can rationalise it, I guess. Yeah, we said as much last week in terms of who had more to gain, and then certainly who had more to lose out of this game. Uh, we all sort of landed on this being a bigger game for Collingwood, but obviously a, a bigger opportunity for West Coast. Just a couple of things, I suppose. We were talking, we were talking before we started the recording, and I think it's a fair enough point that uh, on a week-to-week basis now, we're at, we're at round 17, coming into round 18 now. We probably know who the 2019 Eagles are. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of things that we see that surprise us anymore. We've seen some consistent themes, such as the one-quarter fade-out throughout the season. So instead of really getting down in the mud and and figuring out what went wrong in this specific game, I think it's probably best that we figure out, you know, how the things that went wrong apply to us long-term and whether they're a blip or whether they're real. So... Um, but look, before we get into the long-term stuff, just going to try and inject a quick more bit of positivity into this, and then we can really go to town if we must. Uh, so firstly, oh, this is more of a miscellaneous stat than positive, but we hit 90 marks, we win a game. That's been the trend over the last year and a half. Uh, well, that trend was broken this week. It's the first time we've hit 90 and lost since the start of last year. We had 97 marks. I think that speaks to the fact that we actually sort of played quite well. Simo said Key's much the same as you about the fade-out in terms of losing legs and running out of energy a bit at the end. So maybe there's something to take away from that wherein 
we're still playing our brand of football against a good side and, and perhaps, you know, it was just one of those days where you run out of legs. Now, I suppose the other really important thing to take out of the game that is exciting from a long-term point of view, Jared Cameron, another terrific performance. Unfortunately, he's not been given the Rising Star nomination because I'm going to go ahead and claim Vic Bias. But another four goals from him. He kicked four goals with his first four kicks. He kicked four goals with his only four kicks last week, so he was sitting on a beautiful streak there of eight from eight. And, I mean, Jared Cameron looks like a real find and a real prospect going forward, so that is exciting. But, look, while we're talking about going forward and looking to the future, I think let's take a look at one of the first long-term storylines that's coming out of this, Miguel. Josh Kennedy, goalless for the second game in a row, uh, having entered that on a streak of something ridiculous, like 65, 66 games in a row with a goal. So Kennedy's obviously slowing up a little bit. It's natural. It's fair to assume that that's going to continue to be the trend. But do you think he's done? Do you think that we need to figure out a way to phase him out sooner rather than later? Or basically, what's your take on Josh Kennedy's game and role going forward? Well, it's um, it's sort of tradition for our older players to fall off a cliff pretty quickly. But I think this is too quick to be, you know, to be the end of Kennedy up until what was the last game he played, the Hawthorne game? Um, yeah. Before that, he kicked... He kicked 30 goals in, I think, 12 games for the year. Um, he was ahead of Darling on our goal kicking, and he was probably in the top five in the Coleman. So he was, um, he was certainly performing up until you know, three or four weeks ago. He's apparently been crook. That was sort of that was blamed for his um, scoreless game against Hawthorne. Then he missed a round um, with a, as a laid out. He missed the Derby, and then he, he's come back and he's been towelled up by. Um, Jordan Ruffhead, who you know, previously I think Ruffhead's probably had nightmares about Kennedy because he's kicked 10 or 11 goals against him when he was at the Bulldogs. So um, I, I think it's a little bit too quick to be riding off Kennedy. I'm, I'm hoping that this is just sort of a, a combination of uh, a lack of opportunities. We didn't get too many inside 50s this week. Um, and also just the, you know, a few goals were sort of taken off him by, or a few opportunities were taken off him by teammates. So um, yeah, he's had a few down weeks in a row, but I'm hoping it's just sort of a, a combination of just um, circumstances and his uh, his illness, and not the end of him. I think it's um, it's a little bit premature to be to be calling that. But yeah, we do have guys drop off pretty quickly when they get to his age, and um, you know, his body's been through a lot, and you know, he's constantly crunched. So when the end comes, it will unfortunately probably come quickly. But I don't think this is it yet. So coming into the Hawthorne game, where he's goal streak was snapped. Uh, he'd kicked four goals, three goals, three goals, three goals, and three goals. That last one against Essendon was three goals, five, where he couldn't kick any of them. So he really had an opportunity to kick six, let's say. Now, if he's coming in off a six-goal game and then a few zeros, it's disappointing, but I don't think that we're all sitting here saying, oh, Kennedy's done, Kennedy's done. Keys, the one thing I will say is the tackle numbers are right down from Kennedy. Uh, obviously, a pretty prolific tackler normally, he had 19 tackles in the first sort of half of his season, but in a similar stretch, since the Bulldogs game, since round 11, zero tackles, zero, one, zero, and now two against Collingwood. So he's certainly not as mobile as he used to be, perhaps, and maybe not applying that trademark Josh Kennedy pressure, which was always so remarkable for a big man. But do you think that the role he plays, he's still drawing a key defender, you know, he's still a threat to kick him any time he does wind up with the ball. Is this something where we need to change our approach to Josh Kennedy or just sort of push through this, this down run of form? A bit of both, I think. I think we are seeing a tendency to go to Darling a little bit more and, you know, maybe you know, Kennedy's, you know, blocking for Darling and uh, doing some other other little things. Um, he's certainly out of sorts. I don't think, you know, even 
Kennedy would admit that he's you know not playing at his best. How much you know he's sort of been reported ill a couple of times over the last three weeks. So how much that is affecting him? Only only really he knows, and and perhaps the the club. Whether he's got some other injuries, we don't know. He's not. You know, he certainly wasn't the same Kennedy that we're used to seeing on on Friday night. But he did, as I said before we started recording. I think you know, Darling took a mark in the first quarter where Kenny was right behind him, his hand, hands right behind Darling. If Darling's not there, Kenny takes that mark. Ryan took a mark in front of him in the goal square in the second quarter that Kennedy would have been right in position to grab. And there was one where she sort of chopped in in front of him that you know would have hit Kennedy on the tip if she wasn't there. So. He had some, you know, a bit of bad luck. So, you know, it is that it is that thing where we we probably need to start looking at not playing him as as the main go-to guy and and try and find a way where he can perhaps not get crunched. I mean, he gets he gets scragged every week. I mean, that's the life of a, of a big forward. They do get clung onto and buffeted around a fair bit. But I think he's, you know, to sort of say he's completely done is is a bit of a fallacy just yet. And two, two down games is not is is a concern, but it's not a it's not necessarily a long term trend. I think you'd sort of wait to see how the rest of the year goes before you start making calls to say he's he's finished or everything anything like that. So, you know, I'm sure he's a he's a good player, he's a proud man. Um, you know, he'll, he'll work hard, get himself right, and, and hopefully, uh, you know, come out against Melbourne and uh, his best foot forward and have a big game. So Kennedy, currently 10th in the Coleman count. As Miguel pointed out, he's missed the first two games of the season. He's also missed the Derby and now had two goalless games. So, yeah, I don't think we're quite ready to close the book on Josh Kennedy. I saw some suggestions that we struggle to score with him in the side, which was, I thought, an interesting route to take. Uh, The Eagles lead the league in scoring since that Geelong game. So, uh, yeah, look, I think the frustrations were boiling over and we were looking for somewhere to point them, perhaps. But uh, let's just hold on with Josh Kennedy for a little while. Now, I'm going to ask the classic big footy question here, Miguel. West Coast Eagles, where to here? You know, what's next? Because we've got we've got Melbourne coming up, we've got North, we've got Carlton. There's some winnable games, but as you rightly pointed out, not a lot of capacity to make any mistakes or have any slip-ups from here on in. So currently fourth, uh, tied second. You know, it's a, it's a matter of percentage, but the sides around us often play each other in the run home, whereas we... I think we've only got Richmond coming up of any of the sides in that little log jam two to five. So there is the opportunity to climb back up the ladder, but there's also the opportunity to let go of the rope and maybe slide down to fifth or, you know, God forbid, even sixth, seventh. Where do the Eagles go from here with these, you know, we've got the games coming up on the cards. Where do you think they turn to to try and put the season back on track? I think the aim should definitely be to get back up into second spot and that's achievable. Um, Yeah, we can't really afford to drop probably any more than one, even one would be would make it a little bit dicey. But yeah, the the, uh, the fixture's fairly friendly for us at the moment. I really don't want to finish fourth. Uh, it'd be a, in all likelihood, it'd be a qualifying final against Geelong and the AFL will bloody put us at Cadinia Park for that, um, which would piss me off no end. So yeah, I, I don't, I haven't no, fully done the, the ladder predictor, but I don't think we should really fall any further than fourth. But yeah, we, you know, we need to start banking some more wins and you know, starting with some of these softer games against Melbourne and, and North and Carlton. But, uh, yeah, the uh, the loss on the weekend has yeah, really made it a, a situation where we 
can't afford any sort of stuff ups and fade outs. Keys, we've got, you know, as we're talking about here, some winnable games coming up, but not a lot of scope for mistake. Now, do you think it's something where the Eagles had troubles at the start of the year and they managed to put them back on track? They managed to, you know, wrestle the season back under control at the front end. Do you think they've got that in them twice or are we, you know, really starting to get concerned about the long-term prospects here? No, I think you, you look at the games we've got ahead of us. I think realistically we start favourites in five of them. You know, we've got North, Adelaide and Hawthorne at the home. You'd think we start favourites in each, each of those. Got Melbourne and Alice Springs, Carlton at Marvel and Richmond at the MCG. You're probably thinking that Richmond at the MCG is perhaps the only one of those that we won't start favourites in. So there's certainly winnable games. You know, we probably, percentage is, is close. We're not very far behind Brisbane on percentage. We're a little bit further behind Collingwood. So I think unless we get a real good flat track in there somewhere, I don't know that we're going to catch Collingwood on percentage. We could arguably catch Brisbane. Um, I think we can probably afford to lose one game because Collingwood, Collingwood and Brisbane have both got some harder games. I think Collingwood have got Collingwood play GWS in Sydney this week, so that's not a gimme for them. They've got Richmond at some at some point during the season. They've also got to travel to Adelaide to play either the Crows or Port. I forget which. And Brisbane, uh, whilst they're on a bit of a hot streak just at the minute, they're a young side. You, you wouldn't think that they're going to win six on the bounce, given they've already, I think they're on a four-game winning streak. So to suggest that Brisbane are going to round out the season with 10 wins in a row, I'd I think that's probably optimistic if you're a Brisbane supporter. So they're going to drop one, probably two, at some point. So, yeah, I, I, I think we're we're still very real right in the mix for top two. But yeah, we can't. You know, we've we've probably got one game up our sleeve that we could maybe drop and still make it. If we drop two, I think we're top two is out of the question and if we do have a, a bit of a slump and lose three well then we're we're probably looking um a bit iffy for for top four all right in a word we'll close the book on the collingwood game but in a word miguel season over yes or no no keys oh not not by a long shot All right, we'll move along to the Waffle, where it was yet another victory for the Beagles. The Beagles have found a really nice stretch of form over the last month or so and uh, put it on for all display at the weekend. They opened up the Mineral Resources Park. They were hosted uh, West Perth and defeated them 2014-134 to 10-5-65. Now, gents, I believe you both got out to the game. From my understanding, the Beagles opened up a nice lead, West Perth pulled it back, and then they just went bang, the Beagles did, and just pulled away. See you later. The game was done. Going through the stats quickly, there's a couple of standouts. Jake Waterman, 25 and 6 goals with 15 marks, if you don't mind. Jack Petricelli, 5 goals. Josh Smith, another great game, 28 disposals. Uh, So there's been some promising signs over the last few weeks. And Miguel Keys, firstly, tell us about the facilities. How good did the new headquarters look? And then secondly, where should we be looking to get most excited about who's coming up from the reserves? So, yeah, the facilities, I only ducked in quickly there. Um, Yeah, they do look, uh, yeah, fantastic. Um, The little bits I saw, I don't know whether you could do tours or anything, but, yeah, it just looks, yeah, really schmick. And, yeah, the the players rave about it and all the stuff behind the scenes that the public don't see is, you know, top class and yeah it's going to be great i think um the game itself 
yeah, a, a good contest for three quarters, I thought. There were times, particularly just before halftime, I think that the Eagles sort of threatened to pull away and then West Perth came out after halftime and um, kicked three quick goals and it was game on again. Um, and then the last quarter, West Perth were down a man for most of the match because Brady Gray took out um, a young West Perth bloke, actually Robbie West, probably showing my age here, Robbie West, who played a handful of games for the Eagles in the early 90s. Uh, his son Connor was playing for West Perth and Brady Gay Brady Gray absolutely crunched him in a marking contest. And got two um, weeks for his troubles. And yeah, got two weeks, but it left West Perth a man down and that probably uh, along with the fact that, you know, it's um two thirds of our team was AFL listed players and you know, West Perth are semi professional players, all of them, and um that sort of showed in the end and the Eagles ran away with it in the last quarter and kicked I think eight goals to one. So the margin probably flattered us a bit. I think it was a um, it was a really good contest for three quarters, and then yeah, the Eagles pulled away in the end. But a great result. I think that's four wins in a row, and it puts us up in the top five, which is great because it's going to be really important to have our reserves uh, playing finals while the seniors are playing finals to make sure that they're match fit in case we cop any more of these injuries. Keys, any standouts for you that we need to know about from the Beagles game? I think yeah, Brendan Stokes. I think Waterman was clear best on ground. Did a lot of riding, presented hard up onto the wings, and took a, you know took some marks deep in the forward line. So he, his work rate was was really good, and probably missed probably two, perhaps three goals that he he might have otherwise kicked. So he could have actually ended up with you know even seven or eight goals. Um, so he, he had a very good game. Petrocelli had a complete set of donuts at quarter time. Hadn't touched the ball, hadn't laid a tackle, hadn't done jack shit, but then worked his way into the game really well, finished up with five goals, and in a maybe a nod to the future, got a couple of nice tap-outs from uh, Bailey Williams in the centre square in the last quarter and and streamed forward through the front of the square, delivering the ball into the attack. So he actually um, showed a little bit in the centre square in the, in the late, in the last quarter, which was really encouraging. Bailey Williams continues to so, show signs that um, he might be a player of the future for us. His, his leap in the ruck is, uh, is excellent. A little bit raw for AFL yet, I think, but with another pre-season under his belt, you know, I think we've got a, something pretty special on our hands there. Brooksby took some nice marks around the ground and also did quite well in the ruck with he, while he was in there. So probably with... Um, the injury to Nat Nui, Brooksby probably picked a good day to have a decent game. But I want it Rotham down back was outstanding, I thought. I mentioned in the waffle thread, it's the first time I've seen Rotham live for a little while since the early stages of this year. He looks like a seasoned player now. He he He's the one that marshals the defence. He's the one that's the voice controlling, even with... Uh, Schofield and Petrie down there. Rotham was the one that basically took control of uh, directing the defence. When he even when he's out of position, he still looks assured. He's just he's got his disposable foot is very good. He makes good decisions, and he'd be he'd be a real. He's pushing his case for selection very very hard. Um, I thought he had an excellent game, and yeah, a few of the others. You know, Josh Josh Smith seemed to come off with an injury during the last quarter, which is a bit of a shame for him. Because he had had quite a good game. Uh, Francis Matty Watson, Allen, I thought, Matty was, Allen sorry. had a solid game. Ainsworth had a solid game. Watson was pretty good in defence as well. So and Schofield sort of did what he needed to do without being 
um, outstanding. The only thing I think earlier on, like the game was probably a bit closer through the third quarter, a little bit inaccurate early, the Beagles, but they fixed it up in the last quarter. I think they kicked eight goals one or something like that in the last quarter up until then. They'd been a little inaccurate, which and West Perth sort of did seem to take most of their chances. So the game was probably a little bit closer on the scoreboard than general play would have suggested. But uh, it was a good good day out and uh, a nice way to open the facility. So before we move off from the waffle, Miguel, let me just ask you this. Keys, you obviously just chatted about Bailey Williams and some good signs there, perhaps a little bit raw. In light of the Nat Nui injury, which we're about to dive into next, uh, Miguel, what do you think Bailey Williams would need to do in the waffle to put his hand up to play AFL, or is that perhaps a little bit too far away from him just at the minute? It's probably a little bit early, I think, at the minute. It's difficult to see when he would come in other than you know, if we get any more injuries. I think you know if we've lost Nat Nui, you know, say we've lost him until the first final. Um, I think our preferred, my preferred lineup would be Hickey in combination with Brooksby if we're going up against someone like Max Gorn this week and and Goldstein next week. So two legitimate ruckmen. If it's a side where like maybe Carlton where to to go in with one legitimate ruckman and a and a pinch hitter, then I think it's um, then I think it's probably Allen. Because otherwise, with him in the side, I like having him in the side. But with him in there as the third tall, we're a little bit tall. So, with uh, with those combinations, I think it's difficult to see where Williams comes in uh, unless he's uh, you know, unless someone else goes down. But yeah, definitely promising signs from him. He looked really good. Um, he's been the last sort of month to six weeks. He's been taking probably the majority of the ruck, and Brooksby's been playing a lot more forward, which is quite handy, I think, because that's probably the role that he'll need to come in uh, this week in Alice Springs. I think he'll need to come in and play that role in partnership with Hickey. So it's quite fortuitous that that's what he's been doing, I think. All right, so we'll move on to a few pieces of news from the week before we dive into the injuries. And there are some major injuries, unfortunately, to a couple of really key Eagles. Look, firstly in the news, uh, we'll turn to the AFLW side. As I mentioned last week, the under-18s carnival has been going on over the uh, past few weeks. Michaela Bowen, who is one of the Eagles' pre-listed, I suppose, players, uh, she will be in the inaugural side next year. She was named as WA's under-18s MVP which is a terrific sign there and put up some very good numbers from what I can gather. Uh, she also got a shout-out from Michelle Cowan, the ex-Fremantle coach, who's obviously pretty well-respected in the AFLW coaching community as well. So nice to see that perhaps we've got a bit of an up-and-comer there for that inaugural Eagles side. Uh, also, Jack Darling. Now, look, we go back and forward on whether we rate or don't rate Kim Hagdorn's intel. But he was pretty decisive this morning, Monday morning, that there is a new deal very much in the works, if not delivered. There has been a, a bit of chat, Keys, that Darling would sign pretty soon, and it was on the back page of the paper last week, rumours floating around, all this sort of stuff. But perhaps Jack Darling is signed, sealed and delivered. So what do we make of that? Yeah, good news, if true. Um, you know, we were talking about the demise of Kennedy. You know, it's not now, but it's not, not too far away, so... Darling becomes a pretty important part of our future to the square in array for five years. I, don't, I mean, I don't know that there was any, you know, the bit of chatter about the Bulldogs coming chasing for him. I, I didn't really take too much notice of that. You know, I look at Darling, he's pretty well established. He's got, you know, a couple of, one kid or two kids. His wife's settled here and everything like that. There's no reason why to think why he's 
unhappy at West Coast. Uh, he's a WA boy. I, you know, the Bulldogs would have had to have offered him a huge amount of money to go over, um, so even to get him to to think about it. So I don't know that I was ever particularly worried about it, but it does, you know, put one little chess piece away and 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 enables us with a little bit more clarity to start putting deals together for you know the likes of Kelly and Canelo should those things transpire later on in the year. So you know we we laugh at. Kim had gone, but his strike rate this year seems to be a bit better than the most. And I did happen to listen to uh, to him on the radio this morning, and it was fairly emphatic. Uh, how much you can take notice? Uh, I don't know, but he he said Darling has signed with the Eagles for five years. Not that he's expected to, or he's rumoured to, or anything like that. He was pretty pretty black and white with it. So yeah. I, I'm hoping that uh, he's right and we get confirmation from the club at some stage during the week because we could um, we could probably do with some good news this week in light of uh, in light of some of the stuff that's coming out today. That's it, and it segues perfectly into the horrendous news that we received today. Well, not only today, but also on Friday as well. Uh, we'll start with Jamie Cripps. He was out, or he is out with an adductor injury. Missed the remainder of the game from the point where he did it and. Uh, there were some fears that it could be season at the time. You know, it was one of those ones where not a lot of information quickly available, so your mind tends to shift to a worst-case scenario. But we should be looking at getting Cripps back in the coming weeks. Now, we've, we're obviously big fans of Hibs uh, here on the podcast. We talk often about how underrated he is and certainly the running, how much that opens up. He sneaks three goals under the radar seemingly every other week. Uh, so Jamie Cripps is certainly a big loss. But Miguel... The true headline story, the big injury, Nick Natanui, he is injured again, uh, only three weeks removed from the second ACL return. Well, now he's done his ankle. Uh, We're awaiting scan results, said the club, and we should have him in the next two days. But you never really want to be waiting on those scan results. They always seem to confirm the worst. So we could be looking at uh, no Nick Nat potentially for the season in a worst-case scenario, but probably, likely, we're looking at no Nick Nat for the rest of the home and away season. So what do we make of that? Yeah, um, Simpson. I just caught Simpson on Channel 7 um, with Baz, which yeah, forced me to watch Channel 7's news. But he, uh, yeah, he basically confirmed it was a syndesmosis injury and said that sort of, you know, minimum is four to six weeks, and then if it's a serious one, then it's longer than that, which would basically rule him out. Um, so, yeah, we're looking, I suppose, at a minimum of four weeks, which, you know, if they, they want to be conservative with him, given his more recent injury history, would mean probably not back until the first week of finals, which is pretty devastating. But uh, on the other hand, it's basically a year to the day that we got even worse news about him and we managed to go on to win the flag then. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed, I guess. But, yeah, it's, um, it's going to be difficult. Last year we had... Um, you know, Vardy came in and, and showed good form in partnership with Lysette and uh, I suppose it remains to be seen whether Allen can step up and take on more duties in that regard and um, be a big ask for him you know, against the, the Gorns and Grundies of the world and um, or alternatively if, um, if Brooksby can come in and, and play a role so he might be this year's Vardy so who knows but yeah certainly um, certainly a big blow to about how the the team all walks taller when he's out on the field with them, and uh, they're not going to be able to do that probably for, I'd say, the last six rounds of the home and away season at a minimum. 
Mm, yeah, I mean, we hyped up the Nat Nui Grundy matchup, and I thought his first quarter was an absolute masterclass. Uh, it was just staggering how dominant the Eagles looked out of the middle, how dominant they looked around the ground from boundary throw-ins and the like. Nick Nat is obviously a real asset to the side. Now, Keys, we had a bit of a chat today on the board about it, uh, and as McGill's just sort of hinted at there, look, round 17 last year, the Eagles played Collingwood. Nick Natanui got injured, and he missed the rest of the season. And in the famous words of Mark Lacroix, you know what happens next. So we can do it without him, but we don't want to have to do it without him. He obviously does give us a big boost. The first final is seven, or he's rather eight weeks away from now, so there is still a chance that he could come back in the finals. But missing Natanui for... A very, very important stretch of the home and away season. How do we recover from that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard. I mean, we're clearly a better side with him in than, than out, but he's been back for three weeks. We've won, well, we went nine games without him. So it's not as if, you know, we we can't win without him in the side. And we proved that last year as well. It throws a load on Hickey. You know, he, he has to step up. He's showing at times this year he's, he's capable of it and he's had other games where he's been uh, not so good. Um, I, I guess the pleasing thing is Higgy's best footy, I think, has been played when he's been the number one guy. So get some confidence there. And it's just, you know, it's something the players have to deal with. I think I think Nick's just such a buoyant guy around the club and everything like that. I think it's, you know, there's part of what he does is just infectious in terms of just raising the guy's spirits. So... I'm sure they'll be uh, the the boys will be pretty deflated, but the same as last year, they just got to pick themselves up and go on with it. I desperately feel for for Nat Nui. I think he you know he's done all that work to to get back up the mountain to get back from a second knee reconstruction, and and now he's he's out with a with an ankle. It, it's uh, you know horribly unlucky. The the main nagging thing I've got in the back of my mind is. Same as the Duggan one the week before, it was clear that there was an ankle injury in the he injured his ankle in the first quarter. But uh, you know he's played out the game. I'm not a doctor. Whether that's done more damage by keeping him playing than had it been if they took him off straight away. The same with Duggan. I mean I don't know. I sure as hell hope that the club is something that they look at and decide. Well maybe we should be a little bit more cautious on game day if a guy gets something like that. It seemed odd that his ankles weren't strapped. I talked about that during the commentary a little bit, and it's something that players, it's optional, whereas in times gone by, that was something that was almost a prerequisite for players to have ankles taped. I would have thought that a 110-kilo ruckman would be getting his ankles taped as a matter of course, so that's a, a little bit of concern. But, you know, like I said, I'm not a doctor, so they should know better. But... It is a nagging doubt. You could see in the last quarter that Nui was clearly hobbled. He wasn't moving freely. And I think that contributed. You know, Grundy did get on top in that last quarter. And part of that was, um, you know, Nat Nui uh, not being 100% fit. So, you know, we sort of dust ourselves off and, and keep going, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, it's just really disappointing for, for him especially, especially if uh, the prognosis comes out on the worst-case scenario and... Uh, it's season ending. I think, that, as Miguel said, it's best case scenario. He's back, back for week one of the finals. It's just a matter of how deep into the finals before he's ready to come back. 
Let's move on to round 18. The Eagles have a chance to bounce back, to get back on the winners list and to really pick this season back up, inject some energy into the fan base as well because I think we are all a little bit flat. Collingwood game, disappointing. Injury news, disappointing. So no better way than to really you know, blow out the cobwebs go to Alice Springs and belt the pants off of the Melbourne Demons. The Eagles play the Demons this Sunday at 1.20pm. TIO Traeger Park, it is our first trip there on record. Melbourne have played there five times. They have a record of two wins and three losses, but they have won their two most recent trips to the venue. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's something where, look, the Eagles and Melbourne have played uh, in the Northern Territory before and the Eagles got away as victors on the day. But it's not something we look at too often. It's a pretty unfamiliar site, so wait to see what happens on that front. Now, dumb fun fact of the week from me. This is the first game at the venue not played in the month of May. There you go. Astound your friends with that one. You're welcome. Uh, Miguel, the Eagles have played Melbourne before. We obviously had the prelim, but the Demons have fallen away quite significantly since then. We did enough to get over the top of them at Optus earlier this year. But the Eagles are going to have to make some pretty key changes to personnel since we last played them and since we obviously last played full stop. So what are you expecting to see this weekend? Yeah, Melbourne have made some changes to their personnel as well. Um, they, I don't think they had Stephen May or Jake Lever um, last time we played them and they'll both come back in, um, or they both are back in. So um, that really shores up their defence uh, against our forward line, which is... Uh, all of a sudden, looking a little bit suspect. Um, you know, a week ago, it was flying and it kicked 19 goals against the Dockers and um, basically kicking goals for fun. And we had all the uh, the small crumbling forwards running around. And Vic uh, Kennedy's basically retired or he's going to be pushed out the door. Uh, we've lost Cripps. Rioli, we haven't really talked about Rioli, but he's looking pretty out of form at the moment, unfortunately. Uh, Ryan looked sore. Uh, we will get probably Petrocelli back in, which will help. Um, you know, Cameron's really exciting and he's um, he's really grabbed his opportunities with both hands. But, yeah, the, the forward line uh, is going to need to find some form pretty quickly against a, probably Melbourne's best line, I think. Um, other than that, yeah, Melbourne aren't travelling too good at the moment. They lost to the Bulldogs on the weekend who aren't really world beaters. So on paper, it's a pretty good matchup for us. But... The real issue for us at the moment is going to be um, generating the number of opportunities for the forward line that, that will enable them to to get on top of Melbourne's defence. And, yeah, that was something that fell over in the Collingwood game, um, particularly in that last quarter. And uh, overall, we only got, I think, 42 or 43 forward entries, which isn't enough, really. Uh, so, so the midfield's going to really need to step up. So, um, yeah, there you're looking at. Uh, Yo and Shuey really going head to head, I suppose, with uh, with Viney and Oliver. Uh, I don't think we tag anyone. We didn't last time. I think Hutching sort of played out on a wing and he was opposite Brayshaw for a bit of the game, but wasn't really tagging him. So probably end up having to shark Gorn's taps more than trying to win it ourselves, which will be interesting for our midfield, I suppose. But uh, yeah, it's um, probably a good team to try and get back into form against, but. Um, at a, a fairly foreign ground and, um, and a ground that has its own issues with the, the condition of the pitch. Um, they haven't been playing. The, the Alice Springs Local League hasn't been playing on the ground for the last month to six weeks or so just to make sure that the ground is okay to play AFL. And there was some talk earlier on about moving the game because the ground was that bad. So that all bodes really well, especially for our ongoing injury concerns. But, yeah, it's... Um, 
it's going to be a real test for us. I think we obviously won't be taking Melbourne lightly, but we can't afford to take them lightly. We need to make every post a winner from this point on. Keys, the crucial battle on paper looks to be that ruck battle. Now, Max gone, obviously, a terrific ruckman, uh, even though, you know, Liam Ryan sat on his head last time we played and Vardy pushed him into the turf and started World War Three. He's still a guy that can get on top in the ruck and certainly around the ground. So this might actually lead into changes. I'm not sure how you want to combat gone in the ruck, but let, let's just deconstruct that ruck battle. What do you think the Eagles will do to try and negate or at least somewhat mitigate the influence of Gorn? I think with Gorn, it's it's a matter of of at least providing a contest in the ruck. I mean, we go back from, you know, to what we were. You know, Hickey's role's not necessary to win the ruck, not. I mean, if he does, it's a bonus, but it's to make sure that the the opposing ruckman doesn't doesn't get a clear tap to advantage, um, so providing a contest and making sure he doesn't hit, hit where he wants it. And then with Gorn, you know, is around the ground, he can be quite damaging. So it's a matter of, you know, Hickey sort of running with him and, and just making him accountable around the ground and uh, making sure he doesn't take too many marks and things like that. So it's just a matter of trying to nullify him. I think also Proust has been playing as well, who's... You know, he's a pretty big he's a pretty big unit. So I think with that in mind, I, I you know, Hickey and Oscar Allen as as the backup ruck is it's a really dangerous situation to do to, to go into. So I think we we need to bring in a bona fide ruckman and that's why, you know, I think it might be time to dust off Booksby and give him a debut a club debut. Um, he's a big body. He can take a catch, and, and you know maybe we get him to you know just to to jump in to go on the, the ruck contest and just give him a, a like a real physical buffeting. I think that's the way we probably need. You know, if I'm looking at who we need to replace Nat Nui with, that would be uh, my go. The only other option we've got behind Brooksby is Bailey Williams, which is as as promising as he is, as we talked about. Um, his centre his center tap works quite good because he's got a leap, but around the ground, he's you know he's not going to be able to match it strength-wise with uh, someone as as big and experienced as Gorn. So he, that's the main contest. Um, with Cripps out, you know, our small our small forwards become a, a relatively inexperienced group, regardless of of who we bring in. It's either Waterman or Petricelli, um, and depending if Ryan's how Ryan comes up, it could be both those boys. Um, neither one of them are, are experienced. They're an exciting young group, our small forwards, but not a lot of experience. Um, you know, Rioli yeah, has been has been down since he's come back, so we're going to need to try and see more out of him. And I think our you know our backline is still our strongest group. Tom McDonald's kicked six goals against Carlton two weeks ago and then promptly injured himself and he's out for the year. So uh, Melbourne don't have a direct avenue to goal. So, you know, I think we've given, if we can, unless we get swamped with supply, I think we can control their forwards reasonably well. It's just a matter of of making sure we get enough ball and, and not getting opened up as easily as we did last time against Melbourne because I don't know that they'll squander as many opportunities as they did last time. So we need to we need to tidy that up and hopefully um, learn from our last game against them to 
just not get sliced up through the middle like we did. I'm going to rehash some analysis. So if you you know if you don't feel like listening to this, you could probably just substitute it with the I assume I think, I think it was round nine, round ten, just whatever the previous Melbourne episode was, because there are a few trends with the demons that they have yet to address since we last played them. Their inside fifty inefficiency is still absolutely hilarious. Uh, they're second in the league in inside fifties. They kick the second least goals in the league, so that doesn't quite add up. They're you know they're just a, a pump it in, get it in any old way sort of side. Now disposal wise, last year they had a historic year at contested footy, but this year they're not using the ball particularly well. Lead the league in clangers. They don't force particularly many, so you would have thought that a high pressure, heavily contested side would at least be forcing a lot, but they really aren't. Uh, so statistically, Miguel, this looks like it should be a whitewash. Now, we know it won't be because things never are as simple as they appear on paper. But, look, let's dive into your changes and what you're expecting to see from the ins and outs. And also, interestingly, I think the Waffle don't play this week, or at least the Beagles, I should say, don't play in the Waffle this week. So is there potentially the chance that we travel a bunch of guys over and, and maybe, you know, see a debut or see something that, you know, a little bit little bit out of left field this week coming into the game? I'd love to see a Matty Allen debut, uh, and he's now this week gone past Zach Beak, and he's the... <laughs> well done. The longest longest wait for a debut in Eagles history, but I think it'll continue at least another week because I can't find a way to get him into the site. I wouldn't be throwing the baby out with the bathwater and making any more changes than the uh, apparently two that we'll need to make. Um, you know, there's always the risk. We're recording this on Monday night, so there's always the risk that there'll be more injury news to come out tomorrow or even on Thursday when the teams are named. Oh, actually, can I cut you off there? So last week it was Duggan. Can everybody yeah. just have a punt on who the mystery injury would be? You're not allowed to say Liam Ryan because there's rumours that he might be hurt. So everybody, I mean, uh, yeah, Miguel, we'll start with you. Think of a name. Who's going to be the mystery out this week? Who's got the longest? Oh, I, don't <laughs> I, don't, uh, I don't know and I'm not finding out. I, I do know and I don't want to go down that path. Uh, who's the mystery out? I'll say McGovern got hurt uh, in the, I think, the same sort of clash that Matt Nui did his ankle. Um, seem to be favouring his ribs. He does seem to get hurt every second week, but no, he'll be my pick. Uh, and that, you know, if that happens, you know, McGovern's a great player, but we do have a bit of cover for him in, in defence with Schofield and, and Rotham, so that could be another one. Yeah, Ryan's obviously another issue. Keys, who's your mystery out? Uh, can he, yeah, not, not entirely convinced he's uh, firing on all cylinders. That might look as a, a trip to Alice's uh, bridge too far and, and rest him for another week if he's not 100%. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go Kennedy. Jackson Nelson for me. He's been playing well. He's under the radar. That's the sort of player they'll just throw up with a quad injury and just be like, oh, yeah, one to two. Anyway, uh, Miguel or, back. Or yeah. soreness. Yeah, something classic. He'll pop up on the injury report. Speaking of which, both Luke Foley and Xavier O'Neill missed on the weekend, um, and O'Neill missed the week before, and neither of them has appeared in the injury list yet, so we'll wait and see if they come in tomorrow. Perfect. Um, yeah, so my, that's my whinge. Um, my changes, we, we talked already about, I think Brooksby's the obvious in um, for a club debut, so that'll be nice to see. Not in the best circumstances, but, yeah, I, I think he's really the logical player to come in, particularly if Melbourne are going to play with Gorn and Proust, who are two you know, really big guys. And you know, if, if we're going to play Oscar Allen as backup ruck against either of those guys, we may as well uh, we may as well play Maston as backup ruck and just concede it because Allen's not beating either of those guys. Um, so I think Brooksby's got to come in. Uh, 
Petrocelli's probably the most obvious change for Cripps. You could make the argument for Waterman because his um, his running ability, which is uh, what we really missed from Cripps, is quite uh, is, is probably the closest to like for like. Uh, Petrocelli doesn't have the same sort of tank, but um, Waterman doesn't really provide the same sort of defensive pressure and probably makes us a bit tall if we're playing Oscar Allen uh, and two rucks and Darling and Kennedy all in the same forward line. So Waterman, despite being best on ground and kicking six goals and having 25 touches, will probably have to wait another week unless uh, Keys is right and Kennedy misses. Uh, so, yeah, they'd be my only changes. I wouldn't go shifting too much else around, which means, unfortunately, Matty Allen will continue to wait. All right, so I am going to go a little bit left field. You're saying that Brooksby's the obvious in, and whilst I agree with you, I'm going to you know, throw a bit of a curveball and say that they won't bring him in. I'm not opposed to just bringing in Petch and Waterman. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that we're going to lose the ruck somewhat decisively, but we've seen clubs in the past very quickly abandon the ruck against the Eagles. You know, when Nat Nui is firing on all cylinders, they come in with a plan to try and slow him down or stop him, and by quarter time, they're just stuff that and roving his taps. Oftentimes, you know, you've got a ruckman that's not even jumping. Now, Hickey's quite interesting at just taking the ball straight out of the ruck. Allen, pretty damaging in and under as well, certainly not afraid to throw his weight around. So it's a risk. It is a bit of a dangerous game to play, but I would be certainly playing Petrocelli for Cripps and then rewarding Waterman by bringing him in. And basically, you just play four on three at the ground level and, and don't even... You know, I wouldn't expect Allen to even jump into gone, really. Uh, and, you know, Hickey try and work him over a little bit, but then maybe just play four on the floor with Allen. Now, as I say, look, acknowledging that it's a risk, no issue if they do bring in Brooksby, and I think I think Petch will get the nod over Waterman if that is the case. But, uh, yeah, I could see them, you know, maybe mixing things up a little bit tactically uh, this week as we try and combat a fairly elite Ruckman. Now, Keys, predictions. We need the Eagles to win, so please tell me that you're going to say the Eagles are going to win. What are you expecting to happen on the scoreboard, and who's going to be the best Eagle afield? I think we'll win. I think we'll win by, uh, I'll say, 18 points. Best Eagle afield, I'm going to say Tom Hickey will steal himself for a really, really big effort and want to prove that he can be the man and step up in that Nui's absence. Miguel, your thoughts? Uh, I think we should win. Uh, I'm hesitating to pick us, but yeah, we really we can't afford to lose. So yeah, we'll win. I'll say by 15 points. I missed what Keys said. I might have just copied him. I don't know. Uh, and uh, my best, um, I'll pick uh, Willie Rioli to bounce back uh, in his home territory fair way from his home, but still, uh, he'll uh, he'll bounce back and have a big game and yeah, kick three or four goals. Excellent. Uh, I'm going to say the Eagles are going to win. They will win by 25 points, and Jeremy McGovern is going to be the best Eagle afield. He's been down for the last couple of weeks. Uh, fingers crossed he doesn't have the surprise injury like has been predicted. Uh, but it's a dry day on the weekend, you know, between 10 to 24 degrees, 0% chance of rain. Uh, we talked about how maybe the ground isn't the best, so it could be one of those where you just see Melbourne banging it in long as they are prone to do, and that sets it up nicely for uh, Jeremy McGovern breakout game, and hopefully he can re-establish some all-Australian calibre form.
that will do it for us this week. It's been an up and down ride. Uh, a poor start to the round with the Eagles lost. Now a poor start to the week with the injury news. But fingers crossed that the news improves and indeed the Eagles build some momentum up as we move towards this round 18 clash with Melbourne. Keys, as always, thanks very much for coming on the pod. Yeah, no problems. Hopefully, uh, you know, we, we go on the, the roller coaster that's a footy season and we're down this week. But let's hope next week when we speak we're... Um, back up again. This is week one of nine consecutive victories, which will lead to a back-to-back flag. Miguel, this time next week, we'll speak to you on the back of a big win, and uh, everyone's going to be a bit more positive. Everybody's going to be up and about on the board. So thanks for coming on to deal with the negativity this week. My pleasure. I say that very sincerely. (laughs) My pleasure? But yes, look, as I said, that will do it for us this week. If you've got any questions, feel free to chuck them in the thread or send them through to any of the regulars on the pod. Uh, We will talk to you next week, hopefully in better circumstances. The Eagles are going to go and smash Melbourne. I'm going to be happy with that personally. We're all going to be happy with that as Eagles fans. And uh, yeah, things are going to be looking up. All right, it's going to be fine, guys. We'll, We'll get through this all together. Thanks as always for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Bye now. Bye. Bye. Always look on the bright side of life. (laughs) Grey skies are going to cheer up. Put on a happy face. Perfect.